Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Adrian Ramsey, and I'm your host on Talk Design. I started this podcast because I wanted to share the journey of design that I've had and that many others have had, and I find it inspirational talking to people globally about what makes design tick and what makes design create a better world for others. My journey has taken me from clothing globally, women's swimwear, performance sportswear, mountaineering, yachting, all these kind of genres where each place I would learn more and more about different specifics and how clothing can support those. Also, I've worked in innovation as a systematic innovation trainer and worked with the aerospace industry as well as the marketing industry and the design industry. And all my years of design Still my favourite is the built structure and interiors. In years of travel and discovery, I constantly look at what the emotions are that are created by the built space. I consider myself a student of design for my whole life and will go on that way. Some of the things that I do to support this is my podcast, and then workshops and masterclasses where I teach people about trends and design thinking and tours where I take people on tour with me and we go and discover different points of architecture or interior design globally. I always think that when you're passionate about something, one of the things that you should do is is you should share it. And so creating the podcast was my way of sharing my enthusiasm and the enthusiasm of others and their passions around design with you. I hope you really enjoy it. And I ask you, would you please drop us a line? Tell us what you think. Tell us what got you excited. It's so inspiring when we get messages from our listeners that tell us about the things that shifted in their life because of who they listen to. And it gives me the inspiration to dig deeper and find more people that I can bring to your ears so that you live a better design life. My guests on Talk Design today are Brian Chu and Connor Clockland from New York City. And well, actually, Brooklyn would be a, probably a better way of putting that. Now, these guys are a couple of architects who um, have a company called AO5 Studio. Did I get that right? AO5? Yeah. Yep. I was going to say A05, but it's AO5 Studio. Um, as well as a really innovative product, which I think is really brilliant, and it's called Hook. And I'm not going to tell you too much more about it. I'm going to let them tell you about it, as well as a bit of their background. And, yeah, they can tell you how they went from Harvard to Hook. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, welcome to the show. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Let's start with maybe a bit of runway on, on this, uh, you know, the Harvard part, or, or before that even, because, um, you know, you you – both come from, well, one of you comes from the States and the other one of you comes from uh, Ireland. So there's this whole mix there. So tell us a bit about that and, and where, why architecture as well? Like, obviously, you know, you can yeah. design furniture. So why did you bother with architecture? What happened there? And also art installations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, like my interest actually started when I was about 12 years old and I'm from Ireland originally, but at the at the time I was living in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico with my family. Cool. And my dad was working for Intel at the time. So we were out there with him. And my mom had always had an interest in architecture. And she took me to see Frank Lloyd Wright's Taliesin West. I think wow. it's out in the McDowell Mountains in, in Arizona, uh-huh. I believe. It is, yeah. So I remember going there at like 12 years old and I'd never seen a building like that. It was just like phenomenal. All the angles and the way he made it out of the local stone. And so for me, that was so cool. And I think my mom knew that, you know, I was quite taken with the, with the building. 
So she bought me a book uh, from the gift shop and it was like 77 unbuilt designs by Frank Lloyd Wright. And they were all his sketches. Uh-huh. And I took that book and I, I must have sketched every building in it, like copied his drawings. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think ever since then, like, that's just, that's just what I wanted to do. You know? I love it. It locked it yeah. in. It yeah, locked it yeah, in. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Um, like that shift day where all of a sudden something, you know, you're floating along and 12, you're not floating along, but 12, you, you're, you're out there, you're exploring life and then, Boom, yeah. one little thing like that, and you just go, and obviously um, you could draw, obviously uh, that you had that creative and artistic side to it. Yeah, de- definitely, like, had that flair and, like, you know, improved my sketching as I was, as I was going on. But, um, yeah, that definitely, like, ignited a passion in design for sure. Mm. Um, yeah, and then I think went on to, like, uh, in school I started off doing product design yeah uh, in dublin and you know it wasn't really for me so i kind of like left that after a year and then and went into architecture and then uh did my bachelor's in dublin um, yeah cool yeah cool yeah. really good quite a difference between um say architecture in america and architecture in um ireland mm-hmm. oh yeah for sure definitely so um i don't have a uh um what do you a, call it? Like a romantic runaway story. Yeah, 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 yeah. A, a romantic, like, architecture student, like you know, story behind how With an overindulgent mum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, I, I grew up in um, Livingston, New Jersey, which is a small suburban town. Um, you know, in in New Jersey, and. You know, I didn't have like any idea of what architecture was. I wanted to be a naval pilot when, you know, ever since I was young. Top Gun. And exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and the second one came out, amazing movie. Uh, yeah. He ignited my passion. You know? Yeah, exactly. But, uh, I drove home so fast from seeing that, <laughs> the second yeah, one. Exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, you know, all throughout high school, I wanted to be a pilot and then I get to senior year and it turns out you have to be smart to be a pilot. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, I was applying to colleges and, you know, I just didn't have the grades. Um, you know, I was, you know, always fooling around in high school, not going to classes and stuff like that. So, you know, you had to choose a major when, you know, you're applying to colleges. So. I was sitting in a bookstore when bookstores existed back then. <laughs> and uh, I was looking through a different book, not an architecture book, but a book of 100 majors of college. Oh, so right. I started with A. <laughs> 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 I started I never a got off that page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going down, I'm going down. And I'm like, agriculture, no, aerospace technology, no. And I get to architecture and it's like, oh, you know, if you're good with your hands, you know, you're good at building things, drawing, whatever. Like this may be the the um, the major for you. So, you know, when I was growing up, I used to build stuff all the time, models, uh, model kits, you know, just random stuff. I was always working with my hands. So I was like, eh, I'll give this a shot. So I applied and, you know, got into a few school schools um, and Pratt was one of them. So, you know, I had no idea what to expect going in. Yeah, right. Um, you know, and it turned out, you know, it was pretty interesting and I did pretty well. So I never knew that story. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Just going through a uh, architect. Yeah, aerospace <laughs> and had, a, had a big red cross against it. Oh, They've kicked on, me. <laughs> yeah i so love it i so love it didn't make a path a so yeah Yeah, exactly that was easy though huh got done um got it done and and got out of there yeah 15 minutes you know yeah a day's work (laughs) oh that's classic but you know the the most fascinating thing is is um i suppose with architecture is is that it uh, requires a lot of analytics and that, that, you know, like you said, like if it says, you know, can you make a model? Can you do all those things? Um, you see a lot of those skills get lost these days because everything's computerized, you know, and mm-hmm. there's more model making on computers than there is uh, physically. And which oh, yeah, probably makes sense. But 
there's a lot to be said for being able to actually construct something, you know. It's easy to draw something. I always laugh yeah. at that, you know. Well, I only drew it. <laughs> hey, <laughs> doing my best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can't somebody exactly. put that together? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we, we see a lot of that with uh, with A5 Studio because, you know, we, we moved from architecture into the fabrication business. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's, there's a massive disconnect between a lot of architects in, you know, the drawing and the actual built, the final built piece. And it was really up to us to bridge that gap or it has been up to us, you know, in our, in our line of business over the last five years to like yeah. really figure out and understand how things come together. Yeah, create the create the actual fabrication like and and also with that it's backed into the engineering of it as well because it's a it's got to be able to be fabricated but b it's got to be structurally sound right you know, yeah. i always i always think that's a really interesting part of um you know furniture design and um i don't want to segue into a hook yet but like furniture design it actually has to perform under mm -hmm. a multitude of different things for a multitude of different sizes, weights, you know, shapes, yeah. da, 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 da. It's, it's like, and if it doesn't, um, it's actually highly personal to the person that it fails for, you know, yeah. like it's, um, <laughs> it's very yeah. attached, you know, to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's an expectation of longevity with it as well. You know, that makes a difference. So tell me more about, um, you know, aren't your art installations and things like that with um, AO5? Yeah. Well, actually, um, the, I think like we both, so how Brian and I met was up was up in grad school, obviously in, in Harvard. And Brian, I, I really didn't do much fabrication with my hands. I wasn't experienced in in wood shops or metal shops. And Brian was the TA at, uh, at GSD. So we became like best friends like straight away. And then he kind of like, coaxed me into the into the wood shop and was teaching me all the different skills and like once I kind of like had a basic level of literacy and that it was like a no I just loved it you know there's something yeah. so rewarding about working with your hands so I think that's where we kind of got the the passion for like physically making things which yep. kind of led to a5 because we yeah, both cool. practiced as architects for a number of years after graduation but I think we were just making furniture on the side and doing side gigs so it was like a natural progression into what we were a bit more passionate about you know yeah awesome. yeah no, i was always interested in like you know the material qualities of things how things get put together um back at pratt um during my undergrad i worked for the wood shop the metal shop the laser cutting shop the 3d printing shop so i was always in that kind of manual uh, on that side of things yeah um, and then when we got, when, we, when I got the GSD, um, you know, I worked at the metal shop as well. So I was always making things and, and you kind of see what, you know, that disconnect is between kind of architectural designers and, you know, like the physical, the physical realities of, of how to make something, uh, yep. that Connie was talking about. A hundred percent. Hey, isn't that just, uh, um, a massive difference you know like you think about nowadays there's lots of people who will never build anything in architect they'll, they'll be architects but they'll just use it in the gaming industry so they'll mm -hmm. just be building online um renders basically uh yeah, yeah. and and walkthroughs and fly-throughs and all these kinds of different buildings and stuff to create environments that will never get physically built in the in the you know built form and mm -hmm. so there'll be suddenly a lot of graduates that are out there that have no construction, true construction knowledge, you know, of knowing how something yeah. goes together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Someone, someone's got to build a metaverse, you know? <laughs> that's it. That's it. I, I always think of, you know, when you do work with your hands, it's, it's honest work and, um, and there's something uh, more satisfying or very satisfying about it. And, also like the fact that when you actually draw like physically draw even if and that's i wouldn't mm -hmm. really call that working with your hands but more so yeah. than a computer in a lot of senses and it engages um a whole lot more neurons uh to to physically draw than it does to do it on a computer and mm -hmm. things so it's uh, it's really interesting yeah the cognitive response to that um i was talking with one of my team yesterday and we were saying 
the difference between the people in the office who just work on CAD and the ones yeah. who draw it physically, the ones who are drawing it physically can remember a project five years ago and 10 years ago in detail. Um, yeah. The ones on CAD can't remember it from the, yeah, you know, they can remember it, but not at the detail level from one, two years ago or a year ago, unless it's right, very right. current. And interesting that that's part of that cognitive locking in of how it works um, because they're working with, I suppose, lines and bits and pieces, but they're not actually physically forming them with their hands. You know? yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so yeah. fascinating. And so then with that, um, because that that business um, is a great business and, you know, you were saying to me before about some of your design and build style of things and your clientele, um, mm -hmm. you know, you've got some huge names on your clientele, sort of like global, the global, the global yeah. top 10 on your yeah. on your clientele um which is really cool because you'd learn a lot working with them and they would be uh rigorous in how they their expectation of of delivery of goods yeah oh yeah for sure yeah 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 so the way that we got kind of introduced to uh those type of clientele is that you know because we we're still uh integrated within that kind of design community and there's uh you know because you know our 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 direct clients are, you know, the the architects, the designers, uh, mm. the artists. So mm. they would come to us and say, you know, like, hey, we're building uh, or we're, you know, designing this bench or this feature wall or this installation. Um, you know, and it's going to be at, you know, X and X's headquarters or their office in New York or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we'd essentially have to, you know, they would send us a design um, and we would work through it with them um, to design engineer it, reverse engineer it to be, mm -hmm. to take their idea and actually make it buildable. Um, and yeah, those, those companies, they have a very, very uh, high expectation for the, for the quality of their work, you know? So yeah, yeah. It definitely it definitely made us you know step up our game and, and pay a lot more attention to uh the final product and the and the detail you know yeah well, you, you're I not mean, drawing a picture when... sorry yeah sorry, go. Go, ahead, go ahead i was saying you're not drawing a picture just to pass it on that's what the guys were doing to you and then you're going yeah but to make this work we have to design engineer it which is right critical and as we said you know come back to furniture it's critical in furniture that it's design engineered um yeah. in a building it's a little different it has got to be design engineered but you've got an engineer who's doing a lot of that work as well uh -huh. um yeah trying to trying to fit the finish the crazy ideas that you come up with to make it happen but you know as long as it stands up to the wind and the rain and the you know like um, the soil and all those kinds of things that's one thing it doesn't necessarily has humans in it but it doesn't necessarily have humans on it um, right right exactly yeah. Mm. yeah i think like honestly designing a chair is probably one of the most complex things you can do a well-designed chair mm. very very difficult you know it's, um and, yeah it's got a lot of what well, you only have to watch like how long chairs last and you know when they work and don't work um, mm -hmm. and also the comfort of them, you know, like I've got a guy on the podcast, uh, Kelly Vandermeer, and he talks about in restaurants, just, you know, the height of a chair moving by millimeters to make the difference mm -hmm. in comfort, um, and yeah. the difference in whether it's a long dwell or whether it's a short stay restaurant, you know, like how mm -hmm. it we, will be used, you know, just all those things. And I did, a, um, some innovation training for Airbus and, the amount of oh, wow. stuff that goes into um, working with, say, things like the the cabin and the, the temperature of things in the cabin, because, you know, you get on those planes in the winter in New York and the, if you first flight in the morning, the thing's freezing. Like you sit in the yeah. seat and it's really cold. And then so it's cold, but then what's the material got to be to last long enough to do all those things? And then how does it warm up? And when it warms up, when does it stop warming up? When does it reach an ambient temperature? You know, all those kinds right. of things. Uh -huh. And how many different size butts can it fit in it? <laughs> and and fit yeah. in and you know, they're trying to squeeze people into planes like like crazy. Yeah. But when yeah. you're working in those kind of environments, I, I totally get what you're saying. Like there it is it, it can be so complex, like so complex yeah. um, to make yeah, yeah. it work. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the fun is, really. Like, you know, you can you can design something um, that looks amazing, uh, you know, that's very interesting, but then it's it's how you build it. How are you going to build it? Mm-hmm. You know, like, how are you going to take that idea from concept to physical reality? Because, you know, there's obviously a lot of, you know, restriction materials, tools like how are you going to do it and there's a million different ways that you can do it you know and then do it do it sustainably and do it um so that it can be possibly repeated you know like if you if you're working for somebody who's uh like a national retailer or something and you're doing something that's in every one of their stores and they go yeah well we've only got 600 stores and we Mm -hmm. only need you know they're only all three levels high and we only need you know 30 of these per store you suddenly go, oh, okay, so we're making more than one, right? Okay. (laughs) 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 Which is pretty cool. So take me from there to um, Hook. Um, And for everybody who goes, oh, I better Google Hook. Um, I'm going to tell you how they spelt it, which is H-O-E-K, not H-O-O-K, so H-O-E-K. And this is a a really amazing um, furniture line that the guys designed um it, it's a covid baby as they said it's a covid baby it came out of it covid is, yeah. and uh yeah uh, tell us all about it like kick us yeah. off on what it's all about um, we can start by telling you why we spelt it h-o-e-k as opposed to h-o-o-k um <laughs> so we're we're based down in red hook in brooklyn and uh that's it's an old Dutch settlement, and so it used to be called Root Hook because the color of the soil was red. And H O E K is like the Dutch spelling for hook. It has a kind of a hook-shaped peninsula. Yeah, um, cool. The name kind of speaks to that, but it also talks to the system that we developed, which is uh, you know utilizes hooks to click the legs in. So mm-hmm. it's just touching off both of those ideas. Um, but yeah, how did it start? I mean. Brian and I started uh, A5 Studio about about five years ago. Uh, we'd been practicing as architects in, in the city uh, for a couple of years, and we just started making furniture on the side, you know, after hours. And, you know, thing, projects just got bigger and bigger, and it kind of naturally made sense that, you know, we would, we would give this thing a shot. Um, so we started A5 Studio, yeah, about five years ago, and... Um, yeah, we've been we've been incredibly lucky with the clients that we've gotten so far. Uh, we've you know we started off small, building you know reception desks and you know workstations and stuff like that, and we progressed on to bigger and bigger projects. And um, yeah, it's been it's been extremely fun. Um, mm-hmm. And then hook really, yeah. If you wanna, yeah. So I mean, you know, so so during the the pandemic, obviously the world came to a halt, and you know, so did all of our projects. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, we had about 10, 11 projects going at the same time, each in different stages. Some were finishing off, some were still in the drawing phase, some were still, you know, kind of in the idea contract phase. But we had 10 projects um, in the books. And when the pandemic hit, it went from 10 to 1. Yeah, All right. the other projects. They either got canceled indefinitely or put on hold. Uh, so essentially we had, um, at, the, at the time we were in our older space, which was about half the size of our current one. So around 5,000 square foot space, um, you know, with a handful of people and no jobs. So, wow. um, you know, during the, during the time, um, you know, obviously they couldn't come into work or anything. So, you know, Connor and I, we just sat down and we said, like, you know, we have to kind of make something, make make this an opportunity. Um, so, you know, we always wanted to start our own furniture line um, just through our own interests, you know, kind of sure. exploring, yeah, you know, different ideas and different designs. So we just sat down one day and we were just designing and, you know, talking about, um, you know, interesting ideas and just sketching and modeling and making prototypes and um you know eventually we kind of stumbled upon um an idea that it's essentially you know has grown grown to be 
what it is now. I, I think what yeah. we what, what we were hearing, you know, during the pandemic, we were hearing uh, a lot of the same problems from friends and family. Um, you know, everyone was making that shift to working from home. Obviously, we're living in in New York. The apartments are small, so yeah. people were struggling for space. And they were doing homeschooling as well. They were schooling their kids at home as well. Exactly. You know, like yeah, everything, was, everything was pushed. It was such a massive shift for everyone. So like all of that was exacerbated. And I at the time was building some, you know, wardrobes and it took me like eight hours to build them. And we do this for a living, you know, so I'm <laughs> just like, we're, we're, we're sitting here. We've no work to do. And we're like, this, this furniture thing is crazy. Like it's no one is doing it well that uh -huh. we could see. Uh -huh. So we really like started focusing on a system rather than aesthetic. We we're like, how can we make, you know, furniture easy to assemble? How can we make it a little bit more sustainable? You know, do we really have to throw these cheap pieces out on the street every time we move, you know, like with furniture that doesn't come apart. So I think one of, one of the guys that was working with us at the time was playing around with this idea of a flexible joint and he was, you know, working with it uh, in plywood. So we kind of had this idea of, of a flexible joint system and that's kind of what we use as our point of departure. Yeah. Um, and then we kind of, we, we experimented with that and we were looking at the lever action and we're playing around with different types of materials. And we'd come up with, with a lot of nice prototypes out of plywood. And then we kind of made the switch over to HDPE, which yeah. is you know, a post-consumer recycled plastic. And it was really more for uh, the flexibility of the product than the sustainability. And it had a very low coefficient of friction so that locking into the joint was super smooth. So the, the kind of the focus on that material really came about uh, to make the joint system better. But then, of course, it's like, you're giving waste plastic a new life. So it's really a no brainer to use that in, in the product. So we've, we've utilized that in, in certain areas throughout the, the furniture line. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like how it started. Mm -hmm. And, and then after that, we went on to do a Kickstarter, uh, which was super fun. And we can, we can chat a little bit. About yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to talk about the Kickstarter that um, a lot of people um, don't realize the power of crowdfunding. Uh, to any great degree. And I've got a friend who has raised um, millions and millions on Kickstarter. Um, oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, my wife ran all his Kickstarter. He's coming on the podcast some point. We always mm -hmm. go, oh, we always talk about it, but I haven't got him on there yet. But mm -hmm. um, he, yeah, he makes, again, a sustainable product and he raises every release of any product he does. He raises the funds on Kickstarter to start with. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, like... Yeah seriously big yeah is it uh it's not jico or geico is it no no it's called solid technics and they make um okay. they make uh, fry pans oh wow cool yeah they make a they make a wrought iron fry pan and um a no nickel um fry pan and but they are complete or well, fry pan and pots and all that but they're made out of one sheet of metal so mm -hmm. there's some very clever patented technology in how to do it uh, yeah. But he he kicked off um, his first Kickstarter, and I think you know I think it went to something like might have been thirty thousand or something like that. You know, and was it would it get over the line? And you know, now if he does a Kickstarter, it's usually you know seven hundred, eight hundred thousand kind of um, <laughs> casual. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and and all his every product he produces. Um, goes through two funnels one is kickstarter so there's always mm -hmm. a kickstarter campaign uh, and then he also now has what he calls a lovers group um, which is like their massive they have a massive facebook group um, and with that massive facebook group they actually get different deals even from kickstarter so they they might get a pre-release or a limited edition or something like that that maybe not even mm -hmm. on Kickstarter to the point where those guys essentially kind of almost own the brand um, in the sense that they see it as being part of their part of the support of what makes that brand happen and so right. they've they've produced he's produced it with them or for them but they produced their own lovers cookbook and things like mm -hmm. that where you know, really engage their people into it. So yeah, it's a good story. It's a, it's a really yeah. good story. And also the power of Kickstarter. Um, he started his business when he was in France. He's Australian, but he was living in France. 
um, started the business there. And so my wife, who's a business coach, um, actually was his first curator for Kickstarter. And then mm. on it goes from there. She's still the curator for Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, it, it is an incredible platform for for like smaller businesses or ideas to get off the ground. Mm. I think what we learned from it as well is like, as you're mentioning, like the power of that community uh, that you're developing, because we uh, we had a great campaign, you know, raise what we needed to raise. But the feedback from everybody, you know, about the product and as we were making it um, has we've we've kind of taken all of that feedback on board and it's helped us improve the product. It's help us price it correctly and you know it was invaluable way to start like great market research yeah and and you know like especially i know from mark my friend um he um he his group is or or that that feedback that he's getting from them um Mm -hmm. tells him where the next product line should come from and what the next kind of innovation pieces are needed without knowing you know he's still got a invent it you know a bit of the apple um steve jobs thing is is you know if the customer knew what they want then they'd um you know we'd be designing the past not the future so he's still got to design the future but it does give him a very very quick like look at how things could be and an understanding of where the demographics of people are buying from as well you know like what kind of demographics they're in and all those things um you know like if you knew all your furniture was going to you know these addresses and and high rises in Brooklyn, you go, okay, well, we've got to really solve or or throughout New York, we've really got to solve some of our shipping things and some of our whatever and the size of all those apartments is whatever. So then where's our storage stuff? You know, how does it work? You you suddenly get a real insight into um, who your people are. And then with the sustainability element of any of these things, um, those people will give you feedback because they trusted you off your, you know, crazy video, some, <laughs> some sketches and maybe one prototype, you know, yeah, yeah they yeah, actually yeah. put their money out before, you know, like they said, yeah, we'll, we'll pay that for it. Um, and so they really do take a leap of faith. Yeah, no, they certainly do. And, you know, there's so many uh, unforeseen things that, that can happen with, with the young business. Like we, We'd obviously built like one-off custom things for many companies, but we'd mm. never built anything at scale. Like we'd never made, you know, a hundred home office desks. So that yeah. was like, sounds easy when you're building these super complex art installations, but it's not at all because there's like, uh, you know. Uh, it's a very different business addition. model. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, we certainly didn't get our product on time, but everyone was, was pretty... Uh, they understood. That's <laughs> the other thing with Kickstarter, you know, like, and these, um, you know, people are earlier, well, yeah, early adopters, I suppose, in the trend line. So that you're the innovators, they're yeah. the early adopter. And so they put their faith in you. And if you are late, you know, they're, they're more forgiving because they go, we understand what you're going through to get it to us. Um, exactly. Yeah. And I, I think that, that, again, creates a much tighter client um you know client manufacturer bond that there is there's an empathy in there um yeah 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 it was it was definitely um the perfect place for us to start off and you know it was a great marketing tool for us to kind of get the name out there because it's also a great marketing platform uh you know so i can't i can't see us you know looking back doing it another way because we didn't have the capital, you know, we didn't have the, the brand name. So yeah, I can't speak highly enough of it. It was just, it was an excellent way to, to do what we're doing and test our ideas and, and kind of like take the next leap to become, you know, you know yeah. quote unquote, a real furniture brand. <laughs> 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 to, be, to be real business people. Um, I yeah, think the yeah, other yeah. thing is, is, is whilst, um, you know, you've spent all your money in the development of the product, the other thing is, is that at least it brings you in uh, cash flow to, yeah. to to do something, like you said, that otherwise you wouldn't necessarily have the money to do. Um, and it changes that business model also from a, you know, 30, 60, 90 day business model of, of cash to uh, a more an immediate um, mm-hmm. cash flow injection. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. think there's a lot of benefits, you know, I, 
I remember Mark saying to me um, with his company, really, from the launch of the first product, they've always been in profit. And for an mm, innovation that, company, that's rare. You know? yeah, yeah, very rare. Yeah. 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 Wow. So they had to spend some money to get going. That yeah. was but from the launch of that first product on there, from the time that it clicked over, they went into profit from that day on. Um, wow. And I so, wish we could say this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hook you up with them. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, just just different, eh, in that sense, and, and that it is a community that keeps you there that makes everything work, um, which yeah, I think is really very, cool. Yeah, very supportive community and you know they want to see the success and as you said they're early adopters and, and they're mm. they're putting their faith in you so they they want you to succeed and there's a, there's an understanding there you know it's not it's not like an e-com site we're like yo where's my product yeah like five days later and, mm -hmm. yeah you know, so it's, yeah it's perfect you don't you don't have to tell them you know that it's going to be there in 10 days and then over over deliver by getting it there in five days and all those kind of things yeah yeah, those other marketing strategies. Um, so tell me, with the with the product line that you've got in Hook now, which I'll let you guys run through what it is, but, you know, tables mm. and, and chairs and, um, you know, like benches, et cetera, give us some sort of runway on what, what's in those products and where, they, where they're going to, who's using them. Sure. Um... So currently, we we don't have a chair. Um, oh, oh, sorry, I, I shouldn't have said that. Yet. It's really a, as it's a stool rather than a chair, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, you know, but we're we're still we're still trying to develop a chair. But like, you know, a chair is one of the hardest things to design. Mm. Um, uh, you know, you got the ergonomics, the material, and all those um, nuances of of. Of the body and things like that that you know we, we we'd want to get right so we are in development of a chair but uh so right now we have um a stool uh, a long coffee table a round coffee table um a bench a two-seater bench mm -hmm. um a workstation with a bunch of accessories yeah that's cool mm -hmm. and, and a dining table did i miss anything yeah so yeah um and what's cool about all of those products is that um well one of the things that's cool about the product is um they all can you know kind of click together without any tools or hardware uh, it could it can disassemble just as easily um and the legs actually store up into what we call the chassis which is a structure underneath the table um that hooks onto the legs or the legs hook on. Hook onto it. I thought that was a really um, lovely, like innovative uh, way of putting everything in the one place. And then mm. also, you know, not having to have an Allen key and a screwdriver and yeah. uh, bolting this thing into here and, oh, shit, did I bolt it in the right way? You can't get the product wrong. You can't put the leg in the wrong hole. It can't yeah. go the wrong way. Um you know, just just looking at how that piece of it goes together. It essentially, once you work out that you've got to pull them out of underneath the and out of the chassis, um, mm. once once you've got that bit right, then you're on your own and and it is foolproof. You know, you you, so yeah. you can't put it together the wrong way. It's like self-explanatory, mm -hmm. and that's yeah. a really beautiful part of it. You know, so it means that people get. Uh, this modular piece, but they get instant success and gratification almost from gamifying yeah. what they're doing. They don't, they don't lay out, you know, 30 screws and 12 of these connectors and those, and those are all marked blue and those have to go into, it's like click, 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 click. Yeah. And it's the, yeah. yeah. And, it, and a funny story about uh, putting in the leg backwards. So um, one of our, our, our previous versions uh, the slot where you put the leg in was actually symmetrical. So you could put the leg in backwards by accident. Um, and the way that, you know, it clicks in and the tolerances and things like that, if you did happen to put it in backwards, it was very, very difficult to get out. So yeah, right. when, we, <laughs> when we shipped out a few of our, uh, a few of our pieces, we would get photos back and emails asking, how to take out the leg if you put it in backwards 
and we're like, well, I guess like, you know, this isn't uh, what we thought wouldn't be a common issue. Turns out that, you know, some uh, some customers were too eager, I guess, to yeah. to get it together that, you know, that they would put in the leg backwards. So we actually spent a lot of time developing a different version, which the consumer wouldn't ever know that we, you know, made hundreds of prototypes to fix this one issue. Uh, but now you can't put it in like what you were it saying. Doesn't it doesn't fit. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't fit. Um, so you get instant feedback that it's the wrong way. And, you know, we learned that through customer feedback. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, because it it um, it does engage the customer in it. But also, if you can make it foolproof for them, they're a cleverer customer, you know, like. Um, yeah, exactly. I liked what you said about gamifying it because, I mean, that was really a, the challenge for us was like, it, it, it doesn't have to be this complicated. You don't need like 40 nuts and bolts. And yeah. we were just like, how can we make this system as simple as possible? And then as we were experimenting with the joint, you know, you get this super satisfying click. So it's like, it goes from being a really, really you know, distressing tasks to something that's actually really enjoyable. Like you just snap it into place and it's yep. so satisfying. So and I, I think, love the you know, fact that it gives you the, 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 the positive re reinforcement, you know, it gives you a little reward, a, a click is a reward, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, but that we're looking for that. You know, it's like the guys who invented that, that thing that scrolls on the computer. Remember years ago and whatever you do, because everything took so long, it would have a wheel that would go round and round and round. Well, that, that I was talking to somebody who had something to do with all this stuff. And they said it was created to stop you hitting keys. Cause otherwise oh, you right. kept bashing the shit out of the keys, <laughs> waiting for something to happen. Is something happening or not happening? And so they said, yeah. for Christ's sake, tell people that, that, you know, that something's going on. So right. give them something to watch, you know, it's this, again, <laughs> an innovation great. problem solved. Because the yeah. computer otherwise was trying to do 30 other things is that hammering on the enter key or. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that whole thing of letting it know that something's complete, you know, it's um, it's cool. And in, in that sort of like, as I say, gamification of it, you're actually getting people to do tasks. So how do you get yeah. them to do tasks and get positive feedback? And uh, right. It's and a, if you stick it in, if it doesn't fit, then it's negative feedback. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Like what happens is you go, oh, okay, so I've got to go the other way, you know, like mm -hmm. snakes and ladders, isn't it? You know, I felt yeah. down here, so now I've got to go back to there or whatever it is. Um, so I, I, I think that's one of the the fun things about it. And you can also imagine, I can certainly with my kids, um, you know, if if we had one of your tables here. And we said, hey, can you grab the table that table out? You know, we've got guests coming over. We need an extra table. Can you pull out pull out the hook? And um, mm -hmm. they would, and and they could, you would, they would be arguing to put it together. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. Because they can't get it wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, well, they just need just enough knowledge to get it right. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you say that because you were asking earlier on, like, where is the furniture going? And I think we have really strong intentions to produce a hook junior line because it's yeah. the only furniture that a child could put together. You yeah. Know? And, so not, and not trap their fingers or not do any damage to themselves. And yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a, a Lego style of, of actual usable furniture, you know? Yeah. Which is super cool. Like, super cool. I, I, I think that. The simplicity of it and the innovation of storing everything in the same place as well. You know, the legs don't end up in a different spot from the tabletop or from the, you know, from the coffee table or from the um, bench seat. The legs are underneath it. They, it, yeah. it, it's like the old plastic table with having steel legs that, you know, clip down, but it had that little ring thing where it folded in half where you could jam your fingers in. Jam your fingers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We've all done it. Everybody can relate yeah. to that. It's like, ooh. Yeah. Um, you know, and if the kids are doing it, you're like, yeah, be careful, be careful. And the other thing is, is, you know, you built it upside down, but then you had to flip mm. it over. Um, and suddenly yeah. you had this really unruly thing to flip over as yeah. well because it, it, if the legs weren't fully locked out or anything, then they'd start to fold back in and all yeah. those kind of things. Um so tell me, how do you go with like 
you know, the, the tabletops and stuff like that. Like, um, I know you use sustainable like wood for, for mm -hmm. the, you know, fast grown, um, or sustainable wood for there. What's the, what's the thing there so that people get an idea of how it comes, what it looks like, what colors they come in. Um, yeah. And, and what's the runway and scope on that for the future? Um, so currently we're offering a walnut and a birch, so a light and a dark, and then we do black and white in the, the chassis and the legs, which are made from, you know, well, we actually do a hybrid leg now, which is half recycled plastic and half of the, the wood. Yeah, cool. Uh, it packed to under one and a half inches thick, so they're very, very slim. Um, the home office desk, you know, has a handle that kind of doubles a cable as cable management. So you can almost carry it around like a briefcase. Yeah, I like uh, it. And we're, we're constantly like updating and, and improving the product to reduce, reduce the weight of it, to make it more rigid, um, you know, constantly like working on it. That's like one of the, the benefits of having like designing and building in the same space. Like the feedback loop is so fast. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's an exciting place to work because we're always, we're always coming up with new ideas and like tweaking little things, you know, kind of like in the same way Tesla, like provides an update where we're trying to just constantly make it better and rations and slightly better product all the time. Yeah. So to speak, with, uh, to speak a little bit more about the, the wood and the materials that we chose, when we were coming up with the idea of snap together furniture or, uh, you know, furniture that you could put together with no tools or hardware, um, there were quite a few products already out there in the market. And what we wanted to do was differentiate ourselves from them mm -hmm. um, uh, by using high quality materials. So the, the plywood that we use is actually like a very, very high grade, uh, high furniture grade uh, plywood. And what was important for us was that when you look at the table um, or any of our pieces, it doesn't look like one of those kind of, yeah. you know, interlocking, like, you know, snap together, slide together with the with the uh, the overlap joint or whatever whatever you call it, yeah. Uh, the, waffle, the waffle frame joint, you yeah. Know, like you see, you see tons of like um, products out there that kind of remind you of like the the wood dinosaur models that you used to put together with. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, or the moose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you like you pop it out of the little frame and whatever. Um, so we wanted to we wanted to get away from that by actually you know, introducing very high quality materials, different style materials, like what Connor was saying, the light and a dark wood. So walnut, um, you know, painting the legs uh, black or white and yeah. just making the whole product look elevated. I think we did a lot of that with the way that we machine the details as yeah. well. Um, it, it, it was super difficult because it, you know, if you're making CNC furniture, as Brian was saying, like there's all these telltale signs, mm -hmm. like any designer will know, like, oh, I can tell, like, and that's not something that we wanted. So we've worked very, very hard with, you know, the types of bits that we choose for the machine, the way that we cut it, like the chamfers and the fillets that, that you know, are designed into the product. So you can look at it and we would hope that it looks like a beautiful product. And then the bonus is it clicks together in seconds and you can take it with it. So we really wanted to, as Brian was saying, make something that was beautiful and didn't look like it was just popped off a CNC machine. I, I used to have a, a boss years ago when I was in the clothing trade and um, he ended up being the president of Foot Locker Inc. And, uh, but he used to always say to me, the product is king. And I'd be like, yeah. And he's like, you, you nip the, the product has to be the winner regardless. If it's not attractive, if it's not what people, you know, fits within the wheelhouse, what they're looking for and you know, all those kinds of things, then it doesn't matter what we, what it costs. It doesn't matter what, yeah, how we ship it or any of that stuff. He goes, none of that matters unless the product's actually worthy of being sold. And so mm -hmm. it's something that's always stuck with me. You know, the product is king. And like you're saying, that's it. The product's king. It, it yeah. makes a, it makes an, a beautiful table. It makes a beautiful, you know, 
um, work desk or it makes a beautiful bench. Those That makes the product king. And then the underlying part is, is the the simplicity of the product, you know. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I said before about having um, done innovation work and training people in innovation and in doing that, um, usually the simplest of the outcomes um, is, A, it's patentable because it is simple, um, but mm-hmm. B, you've actually removed the journey of the complexity for everybody. You know, we get, a say, an iPhone or, a, you know, a Samsung or whatever, and we open yeah. it up out of the box these days, and the thing, it's like, you know, you, you touch it and it almost knows who you are straight away. Um, yeah, yeah it's highly intuitive. It's all those things. And that's what I think you've done like really simply with, you know, like essentially something that comes as one item, but then ends up being a table when you snap the legs out, put them in and, you know, all those kinds of parts to it. So it's, you've done that kind of same journey, which is really cool. Um, and and gives people something that works really quickly for them as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, thank you. I appreciate Mm. you saying that. I think like one of our favorite things is when we have people walk down the pier here and they come into the showroom and they like see all the furniture set up and like, oh, it's beautiful. And then we kind of show them what it does. And, you know, the people's reaction is fantastic. So you yeah. kind of know that you've, you've done something that is worthwhile when you see that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it gives people a real sense of engagement as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is nice because, hey, anybody who's lived in a house or an apartment, try carrying a table around. try carrying a work desk around you know and being able to take it apart and put it back together um and a lot of modular furniture and i really liked your point about taking high quality materials and making something that uh, isn't disposable um you know the, the the point there is is that this means you can pack it up and change it from one room to another room without mm-hmm. having two people to, to to carry it, try and get it through a doorway, ripping the paint off the doorway, damaging the desk as you go, you know, all those yeah. kinds of things. It does give an amazing amount of flexibility. I have a, a daughter who would change her room around, you know, every few months kind of thing. She'll, she'll be playing yeah. with different layouts and stuff. And with that, you know, something like this means that she can pack it down, put it to the side, then mm-hmm. change whatever, then put it back because you can't do that with the bed. You, can, yeah. you know, you can't do that with the bed. So, uh, and you know, a bookcase isn't easy to do that with either. You know, you've got a lot of unpacking and packing to do to do mm-hmm. a bookcase mm-hmm. or something. But keeping it simple like that means, oh yeah, okay, cool. We can move it out, move it to there. And certainly, one of the things that stuck out for me in the pandemic, and I got asked to do that many articles and you know comments on on. Um, you know, what the pandemic was doing. One of the things that stuck out to me was as we, you know, well, certainly in our case, we, you know, we build some reasonably expensive homes, or don't build them, design them, um, some reasonably expensive homes. And the biggest thing that stuck out was is that none of our living spaces were designed to be spaces where at least one of the parties didn't leave to go to work. Um, they weren't designed to have two work, a, a working couple in mm, them, mm-hmm. plus kids schooling. Um, right. And, you know, like the, the stress, I read an article on the stress that cats went through um, because cats are used to everybody vacating the house, their home during the day, yeah. and then they let their humans back in at night. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> you know, but that, that kind of thing as well. And our actual built um, spaces weren't designed for the purpose that we threw them into with the pandemic. And, you know, like you were saying with um, the desks and stuff, one of the things that I would say, we got a lot of, asked for a lot of comment on apartments, you know, what are people doing in an apartment? Mm -hmm. And so the the really simple things that that were formulaic to making something work better was, A, as a human, transition yourself. So get up, get dressed as if you're going to work and and then right. dedicate a space that is for work, whether you have to put that up each day or whether you can dedicate a space. Make sure that it's a desk that is of quality so that you're not fighting your equipment mm-hmm. um, and make sure that the light where you are 
is is going to be a conducive if you're working on a computer or whatever you're working on. How's that light going to be? Add a plant so that we get some biophilic design in there. Um, yeah. And then then make beautify that space to the point of having some nice things in there because it is actually your income. That right. space generates your income. Give it some honor for the fact of what it does. And I look mm -hmm. at your desk and I go, huh, imagine, you know, like we need another pandemic so people can buy more of them to put in their places. But imagine <laughs> if everybody had had that simple solution at that point and yeah, gone, yeah. oh, cool. Yeah, we don't have space to leave it up all day, but we can put it up each morning because it's quick. It's like mm -hmm. click, 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 mm -hmm. click, click, and we're there. Um, and then yeah. that, that's their transition to going to work. It's no different from walking out the door and getting on the bus or getting on the train or getting in the car or walking or on a bike. It's no different. You get a transition point. Yeah. And a lot of people didn't um, get that transition point. So that added more stress to their lives. So right. they, it, it, at the end of the day as well, choosing a time that you're going to finish at and transitioning off at that point rather mm -hmm. than just having an office set up in your bedroom and staring at it all the time, wondering if you should be working. <laughs> Are they counting my keystrokes at the office? <laughs> yeah, so what's that computer doing? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, I think that's a really good point. Like, you know, one of the, one of the things that we saw um, was a huge benefit to our, uh, to the furniture is how it transforms your space. Mm. So as Connor was mentioning before, you know, we focused on metropolitan cities, smaller apartments. Um, mm. And, you know, with the working from home also came, you know, people were having, you know, you can't go out. So you'd have friends over, um, you know, you'd want to work out in the morning or whatever, because you couldn't go to the gym. So your apartment really became kind of this multifaceted space that would need to transform uh, with the activities that you're doing. Yeah. Um, to yeah, to so contain exactly. all your life activities. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the one of the, the features that I love is that you can disassemble it and hang it on your wall. All of our pieces um, come with um, a hook that you could essentially you know, screw to your wall and hang the furniture on. So, um, it's great. you know, when you're done with it or whatever, you can either slide it under your couch or hang under it up your on bed your bed or wherever. Yeah. And um, what I like about hanging, a, hanging it up on the wall is that, you know, all of our pieces um, are high quality plywood material. So you get beautiful grain texture on on, on nice. the tabletops so when you hang it up on the wall it kind of looks like an art piece you would never be able to tell that it's a table or you know a coffee table or a bench or whatever um yeah. and it's just and it just looks like an art piece like a wood art piece on your wall um and whenever you need it you can you know take it off and and transform your space i love it i love it that's it that's such a cool little thing Guys, been fantastic. I'm really keen to hear about when you get a kid's line out. Um, and I'd yeah. like to get you back on the podcast when you're looking at doing that. Um, and, yeah, it'll be on Kickstarter as well, I'm sure. Um, yep. <laughs> 100%. Um, yeah, really, really cool. And I think, you know, as you said, the journey of um, – from A being the first page, uh, you know, for a career <laughs> <laughs> and a romantic, like, you know, travel the, travel the world Irishman yeah, yeah, with an yeah. overindulgent mother who's trying to work out what this kid's going to do um, <laughs> through to creating uh, furniture that changes how people live in their homes and um, makes it simple and easy for them and removes stress for them and gives them something beautiful. Is, I think it's a fabulous story. Really, really fabulous Thank story. You. Thank, Thank you. you so much for coming on Talk Design. I really enjoyed it. And we'll, we'll um, post all your socials, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, we'll have this out in probably about a month. Sweet. Thanks yeah, so yeah, much yeah. for having Thank us on, so Very hey. enjoyable. Look to talk to you. Yeah. yeah, it's been really, really cool. Yeah. So, 
Guys, with the, you know, you hang them on the wall and, and it does, it creates like a visual art piece in your in your home um, with, where you're bringing in some beautiful natural timber. I love that idea. I think that's really, you know, fantastic. But you were also telling me earlier about the fact that you're collaborating with some artists and stuff. Can you tell me a bit yeah, more about well, that? As, as Brian was saying, um, we, we designed the wall cleat and, the you know, all the furniture to be hung on the wall to kind of give you that extra square footage in your apartment when you need it. And then, you know, as a result of using like high quality materials, it actually looks beautiful. So then I think we got to thinking like, okay, like, this is actually, we should really explore this more. It doesn't have to be a plain wood top. So mm. we're kind of doing two things. We're, we're collaborating with um, some artists over here in the US, uh, one of which we're really excited about, Chantelle Martin. Um, and we're going to be launching a limited edition collaboration with her where she's designed, we've custom designed a, a number of pieces of furniture with her. And so you'll be able to, you know, have a coffee table or a bench uh, with her work on the top awesome. of it. They'll yeah. be able to hang that wall, which is which is really nice. Um, and the other thing that we're exploring is working with direct-to-surface printing, which I think we're really excited about because it allows us to create custom tops for customers in any kind of color or pattern. You can really kind of create, you know, use it as a, a blank canvas, so to speak. Yeah, wow. Um, we just got our first batch of tests in yesterday mm -hmm. so super exciting to see like the quality of the prints amazing but yeah i mean it's it's an, so, another kind of really nice aspect to the furniture so people in that regard could um you know say print a, a coffee table with one of their own photos or something like that if it was you know or or a chosen one that you've got in a catalog or whatever yeah yeah, yeah cool and and being a design firm with a fabrication background I think it gives us the, the flexibility to be able to, you know, work with artists, you know, work with the clients or, you know, work with customers uh, because, you know, we're not, we're not manufacturing these in a mass facility where, you know, we're just pumping out the same, you know, sure. same thing a thousand times, but we are a design firm at heart. We are, you know, fabricators at heart. So, you know, we have this amazing facility down here in Red Hook, um, you know, 10,000 square foot where, where we can actually experiment with different shaped tops and different graphics and, and really push the, the design aspect. And I think Connor kind of touched on this uh, earlier, but uh, the feedback loop that we have between mm. prototyping fabrication, testing things out, actually getting it out to customers is very, very short because we do all of that stuff in-house. Yeah. Uh, it does give us the opportunity to, you know, work with, um, you know, artists uh, to do these collaborations and really, really push the kind of, um, uh, you know, your, your, your typical, our typical line um, to, you know, much more interesting. Yeah, uh, it, 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 it transforms it from being utility to, a, you know, beautiful utility, say, to being an, another depth of being an art piece beyond mm -hmm. that, and it can become a storyteller in a home um, yeah. as well, which is really powerful. And that thing of having a level of customization. um and also, in the sense, I, I want to say mass produced, but that's probably not the right term. You know, like limitedly produced, mm -hmm. still in a scaled uh, way, means that you know the the value of when when I was talking earlier about when you know the pandemic hit and what people needed to do, and or, or not needed, but would be suggested to do is is it making those transition points and honouring where they actually earn their money from as well as actually beautifying the space. Give yourself the permission to live in something beautiful. That's a choice. Um, and it doesn't have to be necessarily an expensive choice either, but it is a choice as to how that is. There's enough intel out there and everything else that you can you know, put stuff together pretty easily these days. And so mm -hmm. I think the fact that you can do this um, and, and collaborating with artists as well is a beautiful way of getting that to travel just it's uh, also like so fun for us i mean like chantelle came down here for a week and you know really like 
broke things wide open. So we're producing, you know, these beautiful curvilinear organic shaped coffee tables that, you know, we would never have done. And it's like forced us to look at the product in a new way. Love it. And, you know, hopefully we can continue to do that with artists. And it's just that collaboration between artists and fabricators, like very exciting because we're both challenging each other to look at things in a new way. And it just brings more innovation to the space and brings more excitement to it. And ultimately, whilst you guys win, the customer wins a hundredfold from that collaboration as well. Mm -hmm. It's great. It's really good. Yeah, thanks, guys. That was uh, absolutely brilliant. Really, really enjoyed it. Looking forward to the kids' line. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The kids' line will be really cool. Um, And we'll get you back on the podcast to discuss that. And I'd love to... Um, we probably won't send this out for probably about, could be about four weeks. So if we've got any photos that we can attach of any of those new products as well, and, um, give us all the links to Chantel and any other artists you're working with. And so that we can update everything so that, you know, our, our listeners can actually choose to go and hunt down and go down the rabbit hole, you know, where they enjoy to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much for having us on. It was a pleasure. Ah, absolutely fabulous. I feel like pumped up for the day and a, a head full of ideas. I'm on the hook. I'm on the hook. <laughs> the hook. <laughs> I've been hooked. <laughs> no, thanks, guys. That was brilliant. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, If it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking say three questions and this is called takeaway selling so this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you it's almost like imagine if you had some hot chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them you put them in front of someone and then they went to reach out and then you you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you it's that type of thing so this is called takeaway selling so the first question you ask you say well why don't you just leave the situation as it is why why make the change that's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, well, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.